You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey, y'all. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? Good. 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 Um, we're recording an intro. We record intros after the episode, and I have to go to the bathroom so bad <laughs> right now, but they're making me do this. But um, hang on. We... I have something I want to talk to you about. Nope. Really on today's slowly. episode, <laughs> on today's episode, we are digging into the story of a seller of purple goods. We thought we were going to get further than we did. We barely made it into the passage. There's so much there. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Good morning, y'all. Hey, good morning. Morning, Kyle. How's it going? I'm tired today. Well, you were 30 minutes late to this. So. I was. And it's Texas cold. Oh, It is. Gosh. Which just makes me cranky. Yesterday, you were hoping that I we were going to get a blizzard so we didn't have to come. <laughs> oh, that's heartbreaking. Sorry, <laughs> she, she faith she friends. Like, I really hope it, hope it like, snows really hard tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. First thing I did when I picked up my phone this morning was check to see if there was a weather cancellation. <laughs> and here you are with us. <laughs> yep. Hashtag and, cancel culture. Yep. But yeah, you're right. The the gray, just the gray cold rain is the worst. I have to say our friends who live in the Northeast are scoffing at us right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right now it's like what? 38 and just gray. Yeah. And that's about as bad as it gets. We here. own none of the proper clothing. Yeah. I'm wearing the same thing I wear every other day. Also, just for the record, it was like 80 degrees two days ago. So, know, Kyle, just... you have snow boots on. No, I've got rain boots. <laughs> no, but did you notice, Kyle? I wear pajamas and snow boots. That's that's what I wear every day. People no, don't know this. JT, look at Kyle. He only buttoned half of his buttons. I, I... <laughs> Okay, Lauren. Hold on. My, you do have like three buttons. Okay, on my wife is one, going two, to die three. because At first every... I thought it was just the top okay, one, but it's of, more than just. The, see, I know he's okay, wearing an undershirt. One, just yeah, for the two, record, three, every four, five, single, six, okay. seven buttons. Yes. Four of them are unbuttoned. Okay, here's the deal. My <laughs> wife. My wife this is, is going to love this because every <laughs> single day that it's cold, I wear the same flannel because it's thick. It's and nice. Yeah, it is. It's comfy and it's thick. Has lots of buttons. Has lots of buttons, so many. but because I wear a shirt underneath it, because if I get hot, I want to be able to take this heavy thing off. I don't button all the buttons up. And so in my mind, strategic is oh, what you're my, trying yeah, to emphasize. In my mind, I've created like breezeways into, <laughs> <laughs> into the sweater where it's like, listen, you know, if I'm in a cold environment, yeah, you know, I run a little bit warm and so I can stay cool, you know? You may be starting a new trend. Maybe. That could be. I could be. We could be kicking it off. Well, listen, we are, uh, we're jumping back into Acts today um, to continue our journey um, in discussing Acts 16. And today we're looking at a seller of purple goods, a jailer, and an unknown God. There's just some incredible stories in these few chapters of the book of Acts. And so we're going to dig in. And so right off the bat in Acts 16, we encounter a friend and a coworker of Paul who is going to factor in heavily to his future ministry from here on in. This is Timothy. So in Acts 16, you, you hear Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Now, come on, Timothy. That's like, he's like, he is probably outside of Barnabas, right? Yeah, he's going to be such a prominent figure yeah. throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the New Testament. Right. He's Paul's going to address letters to Timothy. Yeah. Uh, and they're ministry collaborators. Paul talks about missing Timothy, wanting to send Timothy. Wanting, I mean, like, these guys are thick as thieves. So what does Timothy share in common with Paul that we find out real quickly here? Because it says, 
disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So what do we know kind of – is there a reason maybe that they hit it off so closely? Right, because Paul also has this Greek Gentile, like this Jew Greek connection. Right, I, I, see, I see what you're trying to get at. I, I maybe this is me just being like not seeing this before. Maybe other people have seen this, and it's really evident. How ironic that chapter 16, in terms of the contents, is coming right after chapter 15. Right, right. because what did we just talk about in chapter 15? Is this Gentile inclusion mm-hmm. in Jerusalem Council yep. of mm-hmm. what are we going to uh, ask Gentile converts? Yep to what is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, now mm-hmm. Christianity, what are we going to ask them to do? Well, we're not going to ask them to be circumcised. Yep. They just need to uh, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from mm-hmm. food sacrificed to idols and food with blood in it. And then here you have Timothy, who is perfectly kind of representing both of these cultures that mm-hmm. now Christianity is going yep. out into. A Jewish culture, because his mom is Jewish, but then but then his father is uh, Greek, is yep. a Gentile. And so I, I, I certainly it's number one in God's providence that this is the kind of co-laborer that He would give Paul to yeah. help him. Uh, of course, so Paul is is thoroughly Jewish, right. which he makes clear in the New Testament, but also now somebody who understands and is converted from also a Greek culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's what's crazy about this: uh, Mason King and I, you know, mm-hmm. our colleague here in the institute, were talking about this yesterday as, as he was preparing for a lecture in the training program. Is is you go a little further? So in chapter one, you realize, okay, so this is Timothy. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He's spoken well of in Lystra, but then in, in verse 3, we, we learn that Paul wants Timothy to accompany him. So come be my ministry partner. Mm-hmm. This is now the missionary journey that we're going out on. And he took him, and what does he do? He circumcises him. Yeah, he it's circumcises cuckoo. him. Yeah. Right after we were just told, hey, you don't have to do that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. if you have some stage fright about becoming a Christian, you, you're, you're, you, don't, you right. don't need to do that. All you yeah. need to do is abstain from sexual immorality. Right. But here he gets a ministry partner, and they're going to go on a— Jewish and Gentile mission, but primar- primarily a Gentile mission. Yeah, and he circumcises them. Yeah, why? I think you know it's funny because I was th- I was hoping that we would talk about this. Um, I think that it is partly, uh, or I think it lines up with Paul's vision of laying down prerogatives and privileges mm-hmm. yeah. for the sake of ministry. Like Paul saying, "Listen, you know, like he talks about later on. Listen, I could uh, I could earn an income essentially off my ministry, but I'm choosing not to. Mm-hmm. I'm laying that down." Right. In order that I, you know, I could be available to you, that there are no roadblocks in the going forth of the gospel. I think this is a strong and weak thing. I think that Paul's saying, listen, hey, Timothy, there are going to be people because right because his ministry, you find out later, we're going to talk about it. He goes in like he gets into a town. Where's he going? Synagogue. Right. Yep. Right. He's he's going right there. So that's where even if the mission extends out to Gentiles, each new town he's coming into, he's he's jumping into the synagogue first. And I think that with Timothy. It says that, hey, they knew that his father was a Greek, right? All knew. Yeah. All the, knew the, that his The Jews mm-hmm. knew. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Jews knew his father was a Greek. So I think Paul's saying, listen, you no know. No obstacles. Let's just remove yep. all of the obstacles. obstacles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't pause there. I'm sorry. You made it super awkward. <laughs> well, I mean, it does seem like I'm, I'm also too like, okay, did they lift up everybody's robe going in? <laughs> Honestly, I do have questions about right. that, but You're just you know. like with, I just I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm like everybody knew this guy was not a gentile. How, I mean, did he walk different afterwards? I mean, what is the deal? Yeah. But evidently, there was enough widespread information about this that Paul was like, "Listen, it's going to be a stumbling block." We, yeah, we can't have this. We're not going to have any side conversations that distract us from gospel conversations. Yeah. Yes. But it's really, I mean, so basically you have, hey, you guys don't get circumcised. This guy 
get circumcised, which I think is really informative for us in the modern church, where anytime there is a temptation to widely prescribe something mm-hmm. that is uh, has already been noted, hey, this is not a test for orthodoxy, mm-hmm. um, that we should... We should question what what's the cost benefit to yeah. whether someone adheres to a particular command or not. Yeah, and and I think a call here, a picture too, that part of the burden of spiritual leadership, regardless of where it's at, is the willingness yes. to lay down. Because he's yes, he's a leader. That's yeah. an important distinction here. Is, right. is is that it's prescribed for him because he'll be in a particular position of visibility. Exactly. And so you can think of all kinds of correlations sure. for, for leaders in the church today. Yeah. Being above reproach being probably yeah. the number one of them. Mm-hmm. And often we can talk about things like Christian freedom. Uh, that's like a theological category to say like wherever the Bible doesn't speak but your conscience doesn't allow you to do something, right. don't prescribe that for me. We get to walk in, in freedom. And that's yep. true. And that's yep. really important, especially in some maybe kind of heavily legalistic circles right. or fundamentalist circles that would say, we're going to go beyond scripture and demand that you also maintain these uh, you know, ethical boundary markers, yep. so to speak. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. But the other side is also true, is that that could lead to an antinomianism where we basically don't want to follow any law at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. And Paul's really charting a middle course here and yeah. saying, yes, we are free in Christ, Acts 15, while at the same time we're willing to lay down our rights for the mm-hmm. sake of the furtherance yes. of the gospel, Acts 16. Yeah. That's yeah. a really incredible tension. It really is. But I often find myself, you know, going, even in my own personal life, Moving between both of them, yeah. I am free in Christ, but I also am, I don't want to lay anything down. I'm you know I have freedom. I'll, all I have to do is these things. Yep. Yeah. And then you realize you know what this could be a stumbling block or an obstacle for the gospel. I, Lord, help me lay this down. Well, and it's yes, all yes to all of that. I think that's really important. I think it's also an indicator that we've mentioned multiple times in Acts that <clears throat> the the church's its formation is emerging from from not just thoroughly but almost completely Jewish sensibilities and sources. So it's easy for us, specifically for non-Jewish people, um, to really quickly rush past all of the the Jewish roots of this story. Mm -hmm. And and Acts is full of these little glimmers where you start to see like their self-understanding of this is as the full expression, the proper expression of what all the Old Testament was about. That's right. So there's, it's still very much, we rush past it and, and almost treat Judaism as like this altogether separate thing. And we know that in light of the resurrection and how the Christian community forged, it has, in, from the resurrection onward, it became increasingly more distinctive, the, the difference. But at this point, they are still very close to that yeah, fork absolutely. in the road. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think our unfamiliarity with the Old Testament means that as 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 New Testament Gentile believers, we're like, circumcision's weird, guys. Yeah. Like, why are we even talking about this? Like, why is there a Jerusalem council? You mm-hmm. know, you would think they'd want to dump that off as soon as possible. Right. But if you're familiar, like with the story, for example, of Moses, where where God says he's he's going to kill him if he doesn't circumcise his son because mm-hmm. he hasn't been obedient to to circumcise his son. And then Zipporah gets in there and fixes the problem <laughs> immediately in a rather dramatic fashion. Those are the stories that are, are are looming large in the consciousness of the Jewish mind. And so it's not it's not a small thing at all. I mean, it is it is a it was a it was such a strong dividing line. Mm. 
uh, in the Old Testament. And Paul understands that in order to initiate a conversation about uh, the shedding of blood for the renewing of life, yeah. he, he, he needs to make accommodations. So in the modern world, you might be able to say it's appropriate to speak of Judaism and Christianity as two separate religions. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in the ancient world, in the first century, Christians are seeing themselves as the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, the, it's the, basically the same thing. This is what we've all been waiting for. Oh, yeah. And for the first 150 years or so, Greek authorities and the nations are understanding Christianity as merely a sect of Judaism. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's these kinds of things that were creating that kind of crossover vibe, really. And so you have Paul and Timothy, and you have Timothy emerge as what seems like the really necessary and helpful complement and partner to what Paul is going, I mean, where, where he's headed. Um, but then in Acts sixteen six, you get the, the story of the Macedonian call, and it's just a few verses, so I'm going to read it, and then I want this is a, this is a famous passage. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you're probably even familiar with it, just thematically because it's sometimes invoked. People as, even talk about like I had a Macedonian like call right. experience. So this is what it says. Who are you guys hanging out with? I thought you said that. <laughs> what? Did you not? No. When, when I asked you to come work at the village, oh gosh, I <laughs> roll. Golly. <laughs> This is where this is where I definitely want to be able to insert gifs in the podcast. <laughs> and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so there's really two things that I want to talk about here. One, uh, this first verse here in 7, when it says, well, when it says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit in verse 6, and then in verse 7, it says, when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What What is this? Yeah. Like, that, and the, I also, too, have kind of a Trinitarian question here. Mm-hmm. Spirit, is Spirit so. of Jesus different than the Holy Spirit? Right? Because, so like, verse 6, it's not like Luke is unfamiliar with the phrase, the Holy Spirit. Right. He's used it a lot. So in verse 6, he says... They've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Well, then bounce down to verse 10. Yeah. It says, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So I'm just curious about the interplay here. Yeah, so I think Paul is... is, First, let's do the the Trinitarian question. Okay. Uh, Stay with what you know, right? (laughs) Uh, So the Spirit of Jesus, I think Paul... It's only used one other time in the New Testament, and I think he is using it interchangeably okay. mm-hmm. uh, with the Holy Spirit, okay. which is really important for forming our doctrine of Trinitarianism, is yeah. that these are not three separate persons that have three separate wills, or they're rather they're three separate persons who are operating from the same will. Yeah, which we call inseparable, inseparable operations. Yeah. And so the other verse where Paul uses this is Philippians 1 verse 19. He says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. That's the only other time that exact same phraseology is used. And I think that's he's doing kind of the similar thing here is that he's trying to show that when the Holy Spirit is doing something, it's Jesus doing something through the Holy Spirit. And specifically what he's doing here is he's directing mission. Jesus is continuing to send his Spirit so that the mission of the church, the proclamation of the gospel, would continue to go forward. He's saying, 
don't go this way, go this way. This is this is the direction that, that your ministry should take. So when he says Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus. It's it's one way of saying or two ways of saying the same thing. Yes, mm-hmm. referring to the same person. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then in verse ten when it says God had called us to preach the gospel to them, should we understand this? I get this question a lot because especially when people get kind of tuned in to Trinitarian rhythms and dynamics. Should we, when we have a specific person mentioned in this kind of correlation, immediately equate the reference to God as the Godhead or as the dignifying of that person with the designation God? That's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure I thought – of course, I've thought that I've, – I've thought about that before. I yeah. thought you were going to take this a different a different way. Okay. It's almost like you have all three persons right. of the Trinity That's mentioned what, that here. Was, that was what I was going to So you've ask. got God <laughs> probably referring to – Yes. God the Father. Yes. Well, God the Father, also Son and Spirit, right. because that's God means all yep. three. But then you also have the dignification of the Holy Spirit being referred to as right. God here. Right. Because the Holy Spirit is the one doing yes. something. Yep. And they're saying, and God God told us this. So mm-hmm. we worship the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. Yep. He's worthy of honor, dignity, and praise the same way the Father and the Son are. Yep. And so I think you have, yes, the Father mentioned, but also you see some Trinitarian dialogue yep. and Trinitarian action, yep. which is I think really beautiful to see. This is like a, uh, at least in the academic world, we're always looking for like proto-Trinitarianism. Right, like right, when right, is right. this stuff beginning to develop mm-hmm. for the early church? Mm-hmm. And here you see a small picture of that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think you're right. Do you think though, I mean, when it when it mentions these these three phrases, like I do feel like I have a tendency to, if I hear son and spirit to read just any mention of God as Oh, it's really talking about the father. Is yeah. that is that a wrong impulse? No, I don't think that's inappropriate at all. I think okay. that's totally fine. Uh, all I was trying to say is, is that yes, let's refer to father. Like, that's what mm-hmm. that was my impulse in mm-hmm. this passage. Also, while at the same time, anytime you're referring, you can't refer to one of the persons mm-hmm. without also referring yeah, to yeah. the one essence. Yeah. But here's a okay. Here's a follow up question. So mm-hmm. then, in the Old Testament, when we see God or Yahweh mentioned, are we to think of God the Father? Oh, this is that's a much bigger is question. It, yeah. Did they did did the original audience think in terms of God the Father when they heard so, that? I don't think they would have thought in terms of person personhood language like that quite yet. They would have been thinking probably primarily of the Father. However, one of the things that Paul does really uniquely is he includes Jesus yeah. in that divine identity right. of being purpose, Yahweh, right. Kyrios, mm-hmm. or calling him Lord, mm-hmm. yeah. is saying you are you are the one who appeared to Abraham and yeah. to Moses. And, to, and so I don't think that when they're in Deuteronomy, for example, they're thinking, okay, this is the Father. We're waiting right. for the Son. They're just thinking of Yahweh. Yeah, and then Jesus begins identifying Yahweh as his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but then after his resurrection and ascension, Paul He's includes right. Yeah. right. Yeah, man, we need mm-hmm. to. Go, we should do a whole podcast on doctrine of God in the Old Testament. We've oh. not really talked about a lot about Trinitarianism. We should just oh, every time gosh. we do this, I'm like, See? we need to do some. Oh, I know. feel like we have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, but that's actually not what this small. I mean, yes, it's about yeah, who yeah. God is, right? right but right, it's right, really right. about Paul trying to work through. Where am I supposed to do ministry? Yeah, so it's like he knows that, one, the Lord has called him to, and two, he has given consensus to the church at the Jerusalem Council that the Gentile mission is not just necessary, but it's blessed in some way, right? Right. And now he's got Timothy, and so it's like, okay, they're going through this region, and they're kind of, it's almost like they're kind of wondering, like, okay, where are we headed here, right? And they're like, oh, we'll go here. Nope. And the Spirit's like, nope. And they're like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll go here. And the Spirit's like, nope. nope. And you just got to wait. 
Right. And well, and God but you kind of read it and you're like, well, why does the Holy Spirit hate Asia? Right. Like that's kind of. I mean, if you are reading, can we the get text, a clip of that? Yeah, yeah. Just, we, we, <laughs> I'm going to need that. We need to isolate that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, really, when you're just kind of reading through, if you don't have, if you don't know the 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 next part of the story, you can be like, well, why would right. the Holy Spirit not want the gospel to go right. everywhere or to the most obvious next step? But the Spirit is going to bring the gospel to Asia. Yeah. That's where the uh, the church at Ephesus is. And yeah. we see in chapter 19 that it was just a not yet. It yes, was not a, right. a never. Right. And so he gets called to Macedonia. And the way he gets called is... This happens to me absol- all the time, guys. Uh, oh, really? I, no. I appeared in her office and said, <laughs> oh, gosh, again. <laughs> all right. You, you, that's, that's I didn't two have of an the, office. That's two of recall. the three you get for this episode. <laughs> um, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, we see visions throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. They, they happen. Um, and uh, here is an encounter where it appears that the Lord is using a vision to steer Paul towards the direction of Macedonia. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, the first two times that the Holy Spirit says, no, we don't know what that was like. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes I think when you think about your own personal life, there's times where it feels like, okay, the Holy Spirit is telling me something. And I've just had a few of those moments where like the Holy Spirit is, this is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how to explain Mm -hmm. explain it. But there's also times that there's just like promptings. You're like, I... I just I have this sense that I, I mean honestly just this week guys I had a I had a ministry opportunity present itself to me and it was like okay this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. like just from a pragmatic earthly like this I should think about doing this and, and you know Macy let's pray about it let's think about it let's invite some friends in um, and I've talked to you guys about it mm-hmm. and like from a human perspective it made a lot of sense to go do but I just didn't feel released to to consider it in mm-hmm. like any real way mm-hmm. you know I I wonder if that's kind of what there's no way to know what the Holy Spirit was doing here in verses six and seven. Yeah, but you just know. Okay, the whole I, I would feel comfortable saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit's not letting me do that. Yeah, yeah, I think it, yes. I mean, obviously, yes. There have been times where it just feels like there is a sense, whether you want to call it discernment or wisdom, there is a sense of restraint, and even around good things, because what Paul is being held back from here is not like Paul wanted to go headlong off a cliff. Right? He, right, I want to go preach the gospel. I want to go. I'm, I want to go preach the gospel, but and, and, and I think we'll go here. And the spirit's like, no. So I do think you know. My dad is fond of saying, "This is um, there was always a ship going to Tarshish." Like mm-hmm. he's like because you know a lot of times in spiritual circles, it's like where the open door is. That's the clear place that you go. That's right. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a theology of open doors. And my dad will say, "Listen, when when Jonah got down to the dock, there was a ship going the other way." Yeah, and he probably could have like the way we treat those opportunities. He'd be like. You know, thank you, Lord. Right, this mm-hmm. was a ship going to Tarshish, and uh, and the Lord must clearly want me to go that direction. Mm-hmm. And so here's Paul, and he is that's really wise advice. He's Just, discerning. Wow. He's discerning here that, and I I think this is large. I think our ability to discern these things is largely predicated on our communion with God. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that sense of discernment is one of the first things that grows very numb and uh, distant. Whenever we're not in communion with the Lord, mm-hmm. and yet Paul is not perfect communion. He's not God, but he is one who clearly is cultivating communion with God. And even with a good thing that would be probably like had he polled 20 people, hey, should I go to Bithynia and mm-hmm. preach the gospel? I bet 20 people would be like, yeah, you probably that sounds should like go. a good idea. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the Spirit's like, no, 
no, it's not. This is not the right thing to do. Yep. He has that internal sense of I just don't feel free to go do this. But the Lord intervenes and says, "Okay, you're not going here, but you're going to Macedonia." And he does so through a vision. Right. He does so through a vision. And I gotta tell you. I'm largely uncomfortable with that approach to the Lord speaking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to come across as like, but I just got to tell you, like, I don't know if it's my wiring, if I believe a false story, if I'm embedded in rationalism or what, but when I read stories like this, I'm like, okay, uh, like, I, I think the Lord does this because clearly he does. But man, Lord, like maybe speak to me through another way, <laughs> right? Right. Maybe not the Macedonian vision, right? I uh, yeah, I feel I feel largely the same way that you do. But you hear stories today of the Lord doing this, like to perhaps uh, Muslims and yep. like an like an angel appearing to them to hey, go find this person in the marketplace tomorrow. They find mm-hmm. a person that guy shares the gospel with yep. them. I don't have a whole lot of theological categories for that. Yep. Well, at the same time, it, it it's too prevalent, certainly in Scripture. And also, you hear too many stories of it today yeah. to say, to 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 to, to rule it out. Yeah, to rule yeah. it out. But at the same time, I could say I, it's never happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so and I it, think that brings up the question of like normativity. Yeah, right? that's where I was going. Emphasis, regularity, that kind of stuff. Because we're going to see Paul do a lot of things that right. I would also say I do not. I have not experienced, nor do I expect to. People ask for my handkerchief all the time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but I, but I also do think it's <laughs> worth noting. That Paul, when he begins his missionary journeys, has spent twelve years preparing mm-hmm. for them. Right. Yeah. So he's not a he's not a new convert. He's not someone who's unacquainted. Certainly not someone who's unacquainted with the scriptures as right. they know them. Yep. And um, and so, and, and that term discernment has has a has a a synonym, and it's mm-hmm. wisdom. Yeah. And so, uh, but I think that. It's it's a difficult thing for us to parse, for just the everyday believer to parse, because we want, I think we have it, what is it in us? Let me ask it this way. What is it, what is it in us that makes us want what happens to Paul here to be normative? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important question that, that isn't always asked. Yeah. And yeah. It's, um, it's a craving for certainty. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And uh, I would say what is not normative for the Christian life, certainly, is certainty. Yeah. And so if your if your MO is to say, Lord, give me certainty about my next steps uh, based on this passage, mm-hmm. that's probably a mishandling sure. of the overall witness of scripture as to how, how the word of God operates in yeah. our lives. Yeah. I, I don't want to I don't want to put I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I don't want to push this too like farther than I should. I want I want to be sensitive to evangelicals of of whatever tradition they happen to be a part of but like i also don't think paul was sitting around waiting for a vision that's well yeah and well, that's kind of what clear, you, it just clear, happened yeah. like this yeah. isn't something that he conjures it's not something that he is even asking for mm-hmm. he's just he's just trying to go do ministry and the lord is is through his communion is directing him yep. something we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast is in in uh, when paul ends up in corinth silas and timothy have gone elsewhere they're coming from macedonia and they see Paul was occupied with the word. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Paul was occupied mm-hmm. with the ministry of the word. Mm-hmm. Yep. And at the same time, through his communion with God, his fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God was was communing back with him and yep. guiding him, leading him. In so much so is the Holy Spirit saying no twice and giving him a vision yep. to say, this is what I need you to go do. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it does. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. 
access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. So they set off. It says, so setting sail, uh, the, when Paul had seen the vision, he went, uh, immediately went, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, they made a direct voyage. And gosh, this is one of those hard words. Semithrace? Voyage? Samothracy. <laughs> Samothracy. Is that okay? Right. Samothracy. I'm going with it. Just say it with some confidence. Samothracy. Yeah. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. So this is now, uh, right, uh, there is... Uh, Paul is there. He's where he was supposed to go. And it says that on the Sabbath day, he goes outside. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this part. Sabbath day, he goes outside uh, of the gate to the river, and there were uh, there's a place of prayer, and it seems like women have gathered there who are praying together. And we find out that one of these is a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I love this passage. Yeah, me too. This is a really good passage. Yeah, that's why we named it. Bring the heat, Jen Wilkin. That's why we named (laughs) it. This is your moment. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Well, so first of all, why are they down by the river? Is that a song? Yes, and I did that on purpose. <laughs> okay. Went down to the river to pray. Studying about that good old way. Right, yeah. That's actually what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. So like in a city where – so you have to have 10 men to form a synagogue. And so what we're seeing here is they're 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 far enough away from Jerusalem and Jewish culture that those who are Jewish adherents don't have enough – people to have Mm. an actual synagogue. Mm -hmm. And so it was common for them to gather, preferably near water, apparently. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. Do you know why that was? Um, And and in this case, it's it's the ladies. (laughs) Okay. So I I did come across one thing about the water, which is that it... uh, uh, because this is a small Jewish community uh-huh. where there might have been with a heavy presence of non-Jewish people, that Jewish converts would have been baptized. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. It was to and do so with ceremonial washings. The, yeah, yes, yeah exactly. so they're there and it, and and the women are gathered to to read the scriptures and to pray. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was customary that if a if a if a Jewish rabbi came by, they would they would ask him to teach. So that's what's happening here. That seems to be what's happening. One here. of the commentaries so the that I read. Guys though, are having <clears throat> women's Bible study. <laughs> I can't wait is, to get, is this to, get the to this first week picture? in Bible study. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, it's gonna You're going to be giving out like just what cloth. color do you think I wear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the commentaries I read said, said everything you said. Uh, you said it better, but it also talked about this is a continuation of of uh, 
of the church's engagement with women in a way that was actually not as customary to some Jewish communities. It's a, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's continuing this tradition of Jesus of being willing to engage yeah. uh, across gender boundaries mm-hmm. in a way that was kind of non-normative. That might have been shocking to a Jewish reader having read this. So yeah. not only do you see a Jew taking the gospel to Gentiles, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been something that would have been questioning to some of the Jewish leading authorities. Here he's converting Jewish women, yeah. uh, which would have been in- interesting f- for them to think through. Mm-hmm. Well, and and also it it's. We've already seen reference to women of high standing yeah. and having and how they had influence in their communities yeah. and that, you know, when they want to stir up a city, sometimes the Jewish um, uh, rabble rousers go to the women of influence mm-hmm. in the city. And so this is another turning point here where it's like, no, no, the good news is for women of high influence but as how well. Do, how do we know she's a woman of high influence? Oh, because she's wearing purple. Yeah, and she's a seller of purple goods. She's a goods. seller of purple goods. But what, like, we don't know if she was wearing purple, but <laughs> I feel like probably. Yeah. Why I mean, not? Why if not? You're if it. you're selling it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, she's she's selling really nice clothes. Yeah. Okay. Is the point. Like yeah. to, the, the noun purple came from a, a noun that was a, it was a shellfish, okay. and they extracted purple dye from these shellfishes mm-hmm. in order to make purple. Mm-hmm. And that's something that would have been. Really, really expensive. Wait, are you being serious right I'm now? I'm dead serious. Yeah, they, I think they still do. I, I, did not, I, I didn't know the thing about the shellfish. Yeah, yeah, but this is a this is a like a. I knew the, that the, the purple dye was hard for extraction. This is where they got it. Really, they got it from fish. Yeah, I, I forget the the Greek term, but it actually comes oh from the term of, of the noun okay. of that. Fish. You know, I've I've always heard like, okay, yeah, purple dye was hard to extract or it was hard to mix. I'm or just kidding. They're are you serious? No, I'm not. They're, I'm, I'm they serious. were milking <laughs> shellfish. They were milking yeah, shellfish. Hey, spicy zebra mussels. If you've yes. been a long time listener, the you were waiting for spicy zebra, zebra mussels to come back in. Yeah, so I mean, there the she dye. has access to a a really sought after commodity, yeah. and she's able to sell it. it it's basically okay. a, 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 you wanted to get your hands on purple it's, if you it's could, a luxury, and it cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And she's probably making some money selling this this stuff. Okay, and then something else that's really interesting too is is a lot of commentators uh, when so at the very end of that passage it, uh, we're told that. She says she gets baptized, which I know you want to talk about the household baptism, which yeah, we yeah. should come back to. Uh, but it also says, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come stay at my house. And a lot of commentators believe that this would have then been a house church. The church begins meeting yeah, yeah. in her house mm-hmm. and they begin teaching at her house. So no longer are they meeting out by the river to go pray, but they're now establishing a New Testament church. In, in a, a van down by the river. I, I, gosh, oh I my gosh. Jen, I start like it was like it was welling up from inside of me. I could see the smile right, on your right face. Right when he said down by the river, I, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot. Oh wow. Guys, we're friends. We're we no are. longer meeting in a van uh. down by the river. <laughs> That's good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So Lydia uh, – funny story about this. So my daughter's name is Lydia, and we have, like, a couple of books about the story of Lydia that are, like, you know, cartoon books. We read through it. And a couple of weeks ago, we were reading the story about Lydia from one of her books. And um, when it came to the seller of purple goods part, she was paying enough attention to be like, but, Dad, my favorite color is pink. I was like, sweetheart, your na- this is your namesake. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you have to like purple. But she was like, but like, this can't be Lydia because Lydia's favorite color would definitely be pink. Um, but this Lydia comes to faith in Jesus. She's converted. And then it says that she was baptized in her household as well. Now, this is a point. Uh, we oh. should talk about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Because. Capti Bapti. How well, do you I- feel about this? <laughs> Household baptisms are a curious thing, and you see them throughout Acts. Now, admittedly, you don't see them. You don't see them outside of Acts, right? 
I don't think we have one instance of a household baptism outside Not of that I can think of. No. Um, and even when You Paul, mean in biblical literature? Yes, yeah. yes, of course. Like in the letters. Yeah. Uh, and even Paul's instruction when he does talk about baptism. Now, of course, he's not – when Paul talks about baptism, he's talking about it usually in like much bigger categories right. than practice and implementation. Like I think about He's Roman giving six. a theology of baptism. He's giving a theology of baptism, not a manual. But here we have household baptisms, and you see them in other portions in the book of Acts. You're going to see it again with the Philippian jailer. Yep. Um, and so when we come across a household baptism, how are we to understand this? Well, this one's a little interesting, first of all, because it's a woman in her household getting baptized, yep. which would have been less common, right? Because right. it's it's likely that she either was a widow uh, – well, no, she probably was a widow. I guess that's really the only option, yep. that her husband is no longer living or somehow divorced. Yep. Like, uh, But she has children, and her children are, are following their mother mm-hmm. in, now, now in the faith in order, get, in order to get baptized. Yeah. Uh, the way I read this is that – the normative pattern for baptism throughout the New Testament is repent, believe, get baptized. And so it's not just that she then went home and, and took her uh, you know, two-year-old and yeah. baptized her two-year-old, but rather this gospel is now – which has been proclaimed – is now being proclaimed either by Paul or through others or through her. And they repent, believe, and get baptized, Yeah, which would have been something very common – in uh, the ancient world is there was kind of this familial structure yeah. to uh, viewing the world, presuppositions, belief. Yeah. You wouldn't have so differentiated yourself from your parents. Yeah, that and just too in these households, there might have been people that weren't family. That's right. Servants, bondservants. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, and so when we read these – tales about household baptism, when we read these stories about household baptism, I do think that that's how I understand them as well, which is that there was heavy degrees of ideological commitment that's right. with the head of household. Mm-hmm. So essentially your head of household was also your kind of leader in terms of what was your view going to be on life in the world. That's right. It was like – Which really pushes on our either enlightenment or postmodern assumptions about how I should view view the world, view myself in the world, and my ability to, to determine right and wrong. Right. And radical autonomy and individualism. Right. Yeah. There what are, do you think, Jen? Jen's I, smiling over there. I'm just smiling because you guys are giving the Baptist party line, as sure. you should. Sure. Uh, um, can we – mean like John the Baptist party line? <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> wondering if anyone would like to acknowledge what our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would say with regard to household baptism. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Do you want to do it? Well, so – Sure. I mean, I, I can. I'll, I'll tee it up for you. And then you, you guys I think can... you'll be I think you'll be a generous representative of the position. <laughs> um, the the precedent in the Old Testament that they would point to is that when it says that he and his whole household were circumcised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that like. Right. The... But we just read Acts 15, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm we just don't saying that anymore. <laughs> and we're looking now for a circumcision of the heart. <laughs> So uh, I'm just asking if you want to uh, yeah, so the, give any credit to other yeah. positions on this. Well, we've, we've had Dr. Duncan on here before. And I know, if he was, just, just if he was, if he, if he was in here, I, I'm sure he would be, he'd be w- very frustrated w- with us. Well, he'd be very gracious because he's very kind. Um, but then he would also gently say that that the the view of of household circumcision or circumcising your circumcising your young is that the Abraham is the recipient of covenant blessings and that his children are the they they receive either the fruits of those blessings by their proximity to him or by their covenant fidelity and so this isn't to say that everybody who came from Abraham was a worshiper of Yahweh but that that the people of Israel including their individual households received the benefit of covenant blessings, even if they were not 
in like even if they were not covenantly faithful. That's right. And so like baptizing a kid, uh, baptizing a baby, if their household baptisms included the young, and if it was following with heavy continuity between the Old and the New Testament, like some of our paedo-baptistic brothers and sisters believe, then the idea here is that in baptizing a child, you are essentially signifying to the world that they are a recipient of directly or indirectly, depending on your view on paedo baptism, the blessings of covenant participation. And that you're hoping and promising that one day they too will step into full active participation and covenantal obedience. So the reason that I always kind of pigeonhole JT and Kyle on this, and the reason that JT likes to play the dispensationalist anytime we're talking about <laughs> other <on>. issues. <laughs> no, is because is because part of what we want to accomplish on this this podcast is to is to not just give you Far one answer yeah, when there right. is that's more good. than one answer. Uh, I actually think that uh, mission critical for us is as the church is moving into a postmodern, um, post Christian, post Christian, yeah. sorry, culture, uh, increasingly so that you be equipped not just with one party line right. and and that that. Um, for the purpose of sharpening your own thinking, certainly, but also for the purpose of making you a more gracious uh-huh. uh, a dialogue partner with people who who disagree on secondary issues. That's right. That's yeah. good. Well, I want to I want to move forward, and I want I want to talk about uh, this encounter with a slave girl, um, and because it's it's fascinating. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna hold off on getting to the jailer and the unknown god for a future episode. We never do this. But because we're running long on this one, I don't want to short shrift okay. what happens That's with fine. the jailer and the unknown God. Okay. Um, but when we get here, as it says, they were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of out of her. And it came at that very hour. Okay. Now, there's a lot. Like, the reason, the reason I want to. I have s- tried this so many times with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to well, be clear that he's looking at Kyle, Kyle right, yeah, now. Yeah, right. You look yeah. up, you're like, who's he looking I at? I think the audience assumed as much. Um, <laughs> this I don't is... know, annoying slave girl. I just want to make sure they weren't thinking he was looking at me. <laughs> this story is is kind of wild. Uh, so, okay, they're going to pray. A slave girl who is really, it sounds like, this sounds like a situation where she's being exploited for a spirit of divination uh, and fortune telling because it says she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Yeah. Um, and so there is a, there is a dark reality to this, which is that it, it appears that this young woman is being exploited. Like our category for us would probably be trafficked. And is probably demonized. Yes. I mean, it, I mean, it is yeah. it, whatever category you want to use. I mean, she is indwelt by a, another spirit yeah. that is not the Holy spirit that is giving her, a gifting yep. and an ability to do something that they're now profiting from. Yep. Well, and Luke is doing something here that we've seen also in his gospel and is done in the other gospels as well. He's pairing two two people for contrast. Yep. Like we just had a woman who was at the top of the social mm-hmm. ladder who had That's her good. own agency, so to speak. Right. And now we have a woman who is at the very bottom, who not only does she not enjoy agency among her fellow people, she is un- she, she lacks agency because she's demon-possessed. That's yep. right. And so um, I think one of the very tender things that we're seeing here is that um, God, through Paul, 
shows grace to both the high and the low. Yeah. Um, and when we read that Paul is annoyed, at first we think, well, yeah, that girl is being super annoying. Mm-hmm. But is he annoyed at the slave girl? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. It says this she kept doing for many days. I don't. Uh, but Paul's no dummy. Right. He knows what the problem is, and the problem is not the slave girl. You're right, because it, then— when He doesn't it, ever address her. You're right. It <laughs> says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Yeah, mm-hmm. said to the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it came out that very hour. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that—yeah, you're, you're right that the, what we should probably not read this as, as Paul didn't have any—like, Paul didn't have any time for this young mm-hmm. girl, but that Paul is trying to be about the mission that God has called him to— um, and he's gathering with people. He's sharing the gospel. He's praying. The spirit is essentially following him in this little in this slave girl, uh, and not only distracting him, but it sounds like being disruptive in that. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around. And he sets his sights on this, and that there is a uh, he cast it out. He cast out this uh, spiritual torment. Well, he's. One of the reasons I think he's probably annoyed is when she says these men are servants of the most high God, she's using an ambiguous term. So like to the Gentile, they're going to hear she these men are servants of Zeus. Yeah. And to the Jew, they're going to hear Yahweh. Yeah. And uh, it can mean whatever whatever she wants it to mean or whatever the whatever the demon spirit wants it to mean. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's meant to cause confusion yeah because at first you're like well why would they why would they care if she's going around proclaiming exactly who they are but mm-hmm. it's it's not that it's a confusing term uh, and so then that's why when when Paul commands the spirits out he says in the name of right. Jesus Christ he wants it to be clear yeah. not just that the most that that it's Jesus Christ that they serve but that Jesus Christ is the most high God yeah yeah and I have to think that maybe too, this is me just kind of exercising some canonical imagination here. Um, but maybe to extra canonical or canonical. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but I think that maybe it just took a few days for Paul to see this situation for what it was. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, like he's like, you know, Lydia's come to faith. There are people that are coming to faith. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is why he was sent to Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Like, and Paul is not like we're not supposed to read Acts and be like, "Wow, well, Paul was perfect." He wasn't. No, yeah. It might have just taken some time for Paul to turn his vision from turn his gaze, like his actual attention, mm-hmm. away from man. This work that seems to be highly fruitful at this mm-hmm. point, happening down by the river, to this slave girl, right? Uh, who is tormenting? Uh, who is being tormented by an evil spirit that is? trying to torment Paul. I think that's really good. It might have just taken a moment for him to go, you know what? Man, and like, like I can just imagine, like I think about how easy it is for me to rush around in ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then, and like there to be a clear need in someone's life or a clear hurt and then all of a sudden for me to see that. It, yeah, it can take be meeting. Like, it can take lots of meeting. I mean, yeah, yeah I've had that where yeah. you're you, just rushing past things. Yes. You, it just takes time. And again, to highlight what you said earlier as well, also communing with God. Yeah. Not just going from ministry appointment to ministry appointment to ministry appointment, or maybe maybe our, a lot of our listeners aren't in ministry, just family yeah. or people in your church, people that you're trying to minister to at work. There could be so much that we're not in tune with or mm-hmm. sensitive to, and it can just take time yeah. to ask God, God, what are you doing in this situation? 
So when it happens, uh, it says in verse 19, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Why? Because she's been delivered from this spirit of divination and fortune telling, um, this evil tormenting spirit. And they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And they said, these men are Jews and they're, they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them. They, they tore their garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. They had, they inflicted with many blows and then they sent them into prison. Um, and this is where we're going to stop for today. But what we see here happens Again, in Acts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and pr- purportedly was happening a lot, which is that the gospel would enter into a community or a city, and it didn't just bring salvation and personal freedom. It began to overthrow and disrupt, th- one, unjust practices, mm-hmm. and two, the economic idolatry right. of given communities. We see it here, and we're going to see it in Ephesus when we get there. Well, and you also realize the reason that they give to the magistrate for locking them up is not the reason that that Luke gives us. They say, hey, you should lock them up because they're advocating for customs that aren't lawful for us. Mm-hmm. But actually in verse 19, it says, but when her owner saw that their hope of gain yeah. was gone, mm-hmm. and that just goes to show often material possessions, wealth can actually distort our perception yeah. from what is really going on. And so they, they have such a concern now that they're going to be losing material wealth. They'll give other reasons to say, well, they're really just – it's really about civil unrest, Yeah, uh, which I think is just important for us to recognize and see. Yep. Material concerns can distort our perceptions of reality. Yep. Side There's, note. Go ahead. God gave Paul a vision telling him where to go, and he got the crud beat out of him when he got there. Yeah. I think it's worth noting mm-hmm. because I think a lot of times when we talk about, oh, the Lord has told me what to do next, our assumption is, and he will – he will bless my coming mm-hmm. and going. And he is going to bless sure. Paul's coming and going. So don't miss that. Yeah. But it's often in ways that we do not expect or maybe want. Or want to invite. Yeah. Well, we did not get as far as I thought we would. There was way more here than I anticipated. Good luck teaching this. this it's, oh, gosh. It's going to go fine. Yeah. It's, probably. This is huge. Um, for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we will discuss everlasting life in the Apostles' Creed. See you next time. Grace and peace. 